You can turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis chapter 1. It'll be in chapter 1, verse 1, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. We're starting a new sermon series, uh, as you might know, on resting. So let's read God's Word together and read about the first rest. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Then skipping down to chapter 2, verse 1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let's pray together. O make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip, and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it is given. Amen. Well, I'm calling the the series that we're starting, Resting in Worship in the Middle of the Overwhelm, and I kind of... I think it's pretty clever, made the overwhelm a capital letter so that it means something specific. And, and, and what, is it, what is life like? That if I have to label what life has kind of felt like in a broad general sense, not all the time, not 100% of it, but generally speaking, as I've talked to you and I've heard from other people and other church leaders and other you know, congregations and just people out in the world, uh, the last three years has felt very overwhelming, has been very overwhelming. And kind of borrowing from what I wrote to you this week, I've been thinking about Psalm 142. And in this Psalm, this isn't our text this morning, but in this Psalm, David is in the cave and he's hiding out from King Saul who wants to kill him. And he's on the run. And so what I want to do is, uh, as I read this psalm, as you hear a point that feels like life in the middle of the overwhelm for you, just make a note. Make a note. Make a note of the verse or the word or just put a tick mark there in your Bible or in your bulletin or wherever. But there was lots of points of contact for me as I read this and as I'm thinking about it. There's lots of that in this psalm for me. So Psalm 142. With my voice, I cry out to the Lord. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before him. I tell my trouble before him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see, there is none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord, I say... You are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring, bring me out of prison that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. Did you hear, did you hear a lot of points of contact? Did that make contact with you in like, your life and kind of what, what the last three years have kind of meant and been for you? Like, 
the, the trouble of it, this sort of never-ending stream of, of one hardship after another, or maybe there's just been one long hardship. I, I'm not, I don't know what it is, but that's something that connected with me. Something that really connected with me is, is this sense of exhaustion and hypervigilance. And like, especially when, when he says, you know, they've set a trap for me and he's looking to his right and to his left and he's feeling surrounded and, and that's connected to me and, and all of the, the polarization that we've experienced as a, as a culture and as, as a, as, you know, churches and as, uh, as citizens and political polarization and pandemic polarization and church polarization and racial polarization and just all of the polarizations that you can think of. And it just seems like there's been one buffet, uh, not the good kind of buffet, but a buffet of crisis, one global crisis after another. And then there's the isolation in the psalm. There's no one that sees me, David seems to be saying. All the accompanying complications that has gone along with isolation and through not just the pandemic isolation, but also this sort of self-imposed isolation that we have in, in, in focusing so much on, on apps and social media and we're sort of alone together, uh, I've heard it said. And there's depression and there's relational breakdown that goes along with it. And then there's feelings of helplessness and paralysis and and the, the fact that we feel like we're now living in a country that, that, in a culture that has fundamentally changed, and maybe we didn't even notice it. <laughs> we just sort of wake up one morning, and it seems like it's, everything is different. David's expressing all of that, plus he's facing the very real threat of death from Saul. And, and he's lamenting, he's crying out, yep, he's talking about all this ugly stuff. But what else is he also doing? He's worshiping. He's also worshiping. And, and this psalm here was sung in corporate worship. This was a, a psalm that was sung by God's people as they gathered together to worship him. And, and David is finding rest in the middle of all of that. In the middle of all of that overwhelm, he's finding grace through rest and worship. He's taking time. <laughs> He's writing at least two worship songs through that. God has given his people a tool. He's given his people a tool that, that to help keep us in that posture of rest and worship. No matter what the rest of the circumstances might be doing around us. And that tool is the Sabbath day. We think about that and we, our minds kind of go to Pharisees and Jesus healing and them trying to trap him by doing this on the Sabbath and all these sort of ridiculous rules that were set up around it. Our mind hears the Sabbath and it goes to legalism, right? Sabbath is not merely a law to be obeyed, but it's a grace to be enjoyed. And furthermore, it's a grace that we need. We need the grace of a Sabbath, especially when life seems overwhelming. And so that's what we're going to focus on this morning. We're going to focus on this day, this one particular day set aside by God from the beginning of time for his people, for humanity to rest upon. 
And so there's just two points this morning. First, God rests from his work of creation. And then God works to give us rest in Christ. God rests from his work of creation. And then God works to give us rest in Christ. First, let's look at how God rests from his work of creation. You know, I heard a a podcast by Walt Mueller, who runs the Center for Parent Youth Understanding, which youth group parents, cpyu.org, go there, be be encouraged. It's a wonderful place uh, and lots of things, uh, lots of resources. But he said that all of our current culture's debates, almost all of our current culture's debates over things like sexuality and gender identity and sexual ethics and all of that, et cetera, et cetera, could be solved if we would only believe the first four words of the Bible. In the beginning, God, right? God's work of creation, his sovereign lordship over all his creatures and all his actions. And then as we look at our verses this morning, the the passage that we read is sort of this envelope. And there's a lot between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1, obviously, uh, and you know that, but those two passages envelop this entire act and this entire episode and work of God in creating all things. In the beginning, God, and notice the parallels as I read these two verses for us, Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 2-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then Genesis 2-1, after he has created the heavens and earth, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. Now, these two verses, they just, they're summing up God's, God's sovereign and finished work of creation that was created, as the confession says, in the space of six days and all very good. So for six days, God forms the earth and he fills it with all of his very best. He, he, he fills it with all of his very best, very goodness. And I love that pronunciation of God's goodness, of the goodness of the creation that he has created. And for six days, God speaks, and through his word, everything that is leaps into existence. And we have this creation formula, the creation formula that goes, and God said, and then he saw that it was good, and then there was evening and morning this day, right? And so everything, everything that is in the space of six days and all very good, the sun, the moon, the stars, galaxies, land, seas, skies, plants, flowers, trees, fish, animals, insects, man, woman, for six days, six intense days, God's creative work is the focus of his power and his attention and his delight. And then the seventh day blows that formula out of the water. The seventh day is different. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. There's no no cycle of creating and pronouncing. There's there's just a declaration that the work of creation is complete. It's, It's finished. Sabbath is a ceasing. 
It's a ceasing, it's a trusting God with our time and with our work. The Hebrew word Shabbat means to cease. That's, that's literally what Sabbath means. It means to cease. And God had finished the work and he had pronounced it very good and then he stopped creating. He ceased his work of creation. Now, does that mean that God ceased working, period, in all ways? No. Because even on the Sabbath day, what was God doing? What work was he doing? He was doing the work of holding this creation together, right? He was sustaining it. He was ruling it. He was governing his new creation. He was directing every molecule according to his perfect plan. That's the work that God continued to do. But as far as the act of creation was concerned, God was done. His ceasing the work is the rest of this deep, deep pleasure that he had in the work that he had done. It's the fruit of his labor. Dad and I built a treehouse for the kids in our backyard. And, you know, we, we, we built it, we labored. I didn't do my, I handed him the, the screws and the boards and he knew where to put them. Uh, but then I held things up and that, all that kind of stuff. But when we were finished with it, there was this deep sense of pleasure. Not at just standing back and looking at this treehouse that we had built, although that was pretty cool. But when did the pleasure come and the satisfaction come in the building of that treehouse? It's when the kids got on it and they started playing on this treehouse and they, they played on it for, for days. And maybe you found that same sense of satisfaction and pleasure at, at a project, at work that you've done, or, or a meal that you've made for people that you love, and, and you see them uh, as they eat the meal, and they enjoy it together, and the conversation starts to happen, and this meal isn't so much even about the food that you've prepared, but the, the opportunity that you've provided for them to gather together in fellowship, like, and you enjoy that. You get this sense of deep pleasure and satisfaction from that. I think that's the, the, the thing that was going on in God's heart as he rested on the seventh day. God's invitation and command to keep a day of ceasing from work is an invitation to, to trust him. It's an invitation to trust him with our time and our work to say, there is time enough to cease and enjoy and marvel at what God has done. To, to reflect on what he has accomplished in us and through us. To be present with brothers and sisters as they marvel, as they trust, as they enjoy. We add to one another's Sabbath with rest, Sabbath rest with our presence, our participation. As we gather together in church, you're not simply doing some duty that you personally owe to God, but you are gathering together with the body of Christ, and in your gathering, you are encouraging those next to you with your presence. Sabbath is a celebration of God the Creator. In this, in this rest, we turn from the stuff of creation to marvel at the Creator Himself. That, that we actually enter into 
the patterns and the rhythms of the act of creation. The six days of working and laboring and and this one day of rest, we enter into that pattern and our attention is drawn to the Creator, the one who set that pattern for us. And we marvel at His goodness. We marvel at His creation. We marvel at the, the faculties that He has given us and one another as we are able to do the work that He's called us to do. Sabbath is a blessing. It's a blessing of God for you. It's tempting to read over the fact that God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy as just kind of being old. Those are Bible words. Bible's supposed to say that, right? It's being so much Bible talk, but the, the Sabbath is set apart. It's set apart for a special purpose. The practice of rest and worship with God's people has a, has a power in our lives. If we think about that, if we meditate on that, that can change our vision of what this day and this hour is. It can change your vision of what Sunday is. If, what if we truly approach the Sunday with a sense of wonder instead of kind of the low-key guilt and dread that already sort of surrounds it. And the Duesenberry family is not immune from this, by the way. We have lived through this and are living through it as well. Like, and the dread comes from having the day sort of covered with this cloud of guilt. And the guilt comes from this vision of Sabbath keeping as this law that we aren't very good at keeping, and we know we're not very good at keeping it. And it comes from the dread of knowing that you will wake up on Sunday morning and suddenly and inexplicably stomachs will ache and heads will hurt and, you know, my elbow doesn't work. And out of the blue and with absolutely no measurable symptoms, right? Or the two hours that you thought you had to get ready will evaporate into fixing breakfast for other people or finding a clean pair of socks for somebody or whatever it is because your attention is on everyone else. And then pulling the plug is so easy when the Sabbath is more of a law that condemns, right? Than it is a grace that sustains and lifts up. A blessing that actually calls you into the everlasting rest of God the Creator. God's resting on the seventh day of creation has no end. There's no pattern. There's no God said, and then there was, and it was very good, and there's no evening, and there's no morning the next day on the seventh day. The rest he entered into is the everlasting rest he is working so hard to prepare us for in Christ. So God rests from his work of creation, but God also works to give us rest in Christ. And we move from the rest of God the creator to the work of God the redeemer. Notice how tightly the Sabbath is bound to his acts of redemption in the lives of his people. In Deuteronomy 5, we find this sort of expanded version of the Ten Commandments. And he says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. 
Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. The Passover, the Exodus, the Red Sea crossing was the redemptive work of God for his people in the Old Testament. And the Sabbath day is a celebration of that redemption. The practice of taking a Sabbath day is something that we do together. It's not just an individual discipline or or practice. It's community is an important part of resting and worshiping on the Sabbath. So much so that it is the identifying, one of the identifying markers of God's people in the Old Testament. It was a covenant marker that God has set the Israelites apart for himself. Exodus 31 says, therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. Oh, rather, I skipped a line. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. Sabbath day corporate worship is a time to identify with other exhausted, broken, needy people. It's the time when God's covenant people gather in community. A lot of the one anothering that we are called to do as God's people happens right here. Have you ever considered what your presence adds to others as you worship together? It's where, it's where we encourage one another. It's where we learn how to, to love and pray with and for one another. It's It's where we can struggle and be reconciled and seek forgiveness with one another. It's where my messy life mingles with your messy life. And we remind one another that we are loved by God. It's where I get to see you worshiping your creator. And I know the hardships that you're walking through. And my soul is reminded that rest, rest is possible in all places and at all times because Jesus is sufficient. That's worth a little intentionality. That's worth being intentional to to take time to reflect and to prepare for this day on the other six days of the week and I always love special days on our calendar. I always like Christmas and holidays like that, of course, but birthdays and anniversaries, you spend time beforehand preparing for them. And then you think and you plan about how you can make that day special. You know the day has arrived so that when the day arrives, you, you wake up in that morning and, and the, the air kind of seems different. Does, it, does that make sense? Like, I feel that way about holidays, right? You wake up that morning, you just sort of breathe in, and you're like, ah, it's Christmas, right? Oh, maybe not Christmas because it's 3 a.m. when you're awaking and there's a child's face like two inches from your nose. But like other special days, you wake up and just the air seems different. You know the day has arrived and you can fully enjoy it. It's a time apart from time. You have an opportunity to have a day of, of time out of time every week where the air seems different. 
What preparations can you make Monday through Saturday to set aside Sunday? Practicalities, like, like meals and pressing clothes and giving stinky kids baths the night before and getting up a little bit earlier and making a special breakfast on Sunday morning or, or sleeping a little bit later and throwing Pop-Tarts uh, at people on Sunday morning. Reflection. Praying at beforehand for a good day of rest. Adjusting your thinking about it to raise its importance in your own mind. Talking to your kids about what we do at church and why that's a special day. We actually have curriculum that we're teaching your kids about why the things we do at church, why we do the things that we do in worship. I'm very thankful for that. I know that there are families and there are times and there are seasons of life where it's easier said than done. Way, way easier said than done. And there are families whose needs are trickier. And there's no amount of Saturday evening preparation that will smooth out Sunday morning. I know. That's okay too. Parents, I know it's hard to feel like your family is the distracting one in the sanctuary. It's still better to have you here. It's still better to be with you than to not be with you. And it's very simple why. You are a part of us. We love you. We miss you when you're not here. But all of this leads to the uncomfortable fact that Sabbath-keeping is a discipline. It's a discipline that we need to work to develop. And I want to be clear from the beginning, discipline does not equal legalism. That Sabbath-keeping is not a means by which we earn God's love or earn more of His favor or earn our salvation, but rather, discipline isn't contrary to grace. In fact, discipline is dependent on grace because you'll fail over and over again. And as I love to say, never stop starting this kind of discipline. Discipline is dependent on grace because you'll fail. Discipline is is the development of habits and practices that help us to apply grace to our lives. We avail ourselves of the means of grace through the practice of disciplines like Bible study, like prayer, like worship, like accountability. So don't hear what I'm not saying, that Sabbath keeping is some legalistic law. No, Sabbath is a a grace-filled discipline that we need. Because it reminds us of God's work. It points us back to God's work in redeeming us for himself out of the slavery of our sin. Imagine the toil of slavery the Israelites endured in Egypt. The, the fear of the lash. The, the, the families ground down and, and mistreated. The indignity and the shame of it all. And for a time, it seemed like the plagues and Moses and this Moses fellows only made things worse. 
only made the work harder. Masters got more cruel. Workloads increased. And then suddenly, inexplicably, freedom. <laughs> and what is, God's, what is God the Redeemer's commandment? After the blessing of being freed from the, the toil of slavery the never-ending work of slavery. What is God's commandment to his people? Stop. (laughs) Cease working. Rest. Take one day in seven to cease from working and enjoy the salvation that is yours. The Sabbath exists to invite God's redeemed people into the rest of their salvation. We worship with all of God's people because our hearts have been freed from the rhythms of this world and invited into the Genesis rhythm of heaven's rest. Your body and your mind needs to cease and recover from work. Your heart needs that as well. Your heart needs to remember that you are no longer sin's slave, but it needs to rejoice that you are now God's son and daughter, and it needs to worship the Redeemer whose toil earned your rest. What were Jesus' last words? John 19, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That was the end of Christ's redeeming work. The worship of Christ your creator and redeemer is your deepest need. It is the greatest blessing to intentionally and with reflection set aside this day for that purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we it's hard for us to admit, it's hard for us to confess that we need to rest. It's hard for us to to struggle through giving up that time that we could be proactively heading off problems that we foresee in the coming week instead of just trusting you with our time. Lord, we do that because we're a people who want to contribute something to our own salvation. We do that as a a means by which we can assure ourselves that everything's going to be okay. Rather, Lord, help us to remember and be reminded that, that in Christ we are secure, we are safe, we can rest in Him knowing that He in His work and labor has accomplished everything that we need for our salvation, that, that His work is perfect, there's no deficiency in it, there's nothing that we, can either, we either can add or need to add to his work 
in salvation. Lord, remind us of that this morning as we come to the table, as we come to this sacrament. Remind us that, that this, this bread and this wine, these are things which are signs pointing us to the fact of Jesus' perfect work of atonement on the cross and seals in us the confidence that we need to be able to rest in that. Lord, affirm in us through this sacrament, through your Spirit's working, that, that Christ is the answer and that we have laid hold of him and therefore we can rest in him. Lord, we pray that you would do this for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.